0: Welcome back everyone. This is Cut the Shit. Get fit. I'm your lovely, lovely host, Rafael Mateshewski, and this is episode 238 with Dr. Mohammed Ramawi. This guy was a really good interview. He reached out to me and I had no clue who the hell this guy was, and it was a pleasantly amazing podcast he's such a down-to-earth doctor and you don't find those often usually a lot of doctors are on this high horse of the education they know better than you and honestly Muhammad was like he's such a regular dude with a lot of great information he's so open to anything and everything I brought up and honestly I could have chatted with him for a couple other more hours honestly and he is the guy when it comes to the foot the ankle and any kind of injury bunions things like that we cover it all in this episode so without further ado here's Dr. Mohamed Ramawi. Hello, boys and girls. Welcome back to another episode of Cut the Shit, Get Fit. I'm your lovely host, Rafal Matushevsky, and joining me for the first time today is Dr. Mohammed Rimawi. Hopefully, I said that correctly. Say hello.
1: Perfect. <laughs> Thank you. Thank you for having me. You said it perfectly. Thank awesome. you. Awesome.
0: Um, so, I like to start the show with some super easy questions to kind of get the juices flowing. So, the first one is What do you got planned for the weekend?
1: Absolutely nothing, you know. Nice. Uh, uh, yeah, I'm I'm a Muslim faith, and we're observing Ramadan. Nice. So I, we don't eat from sunrise to sunset. So I'll be sleeping for the majority of it.
0: That's interesting that you brought that up, because I like, I'm part of a Facebook group like that's just all about health and fitness, and there's a lot of questions about that, like for those guys that do train, and you guys are not supposed to eat. Like I'm not entirely sure about the whole process. So maybe give us some background of how. Ramadan kind of works, and then some, maybe some advice for the gym bros out there that want to still work out. And you know, if they're running on empty, not to pass out.
1: Sure, sure. So yeah, Ramadan basically it's uh, you're fasting, no water, no food from sunrise to sunset. So what a lot of people do is they'll wake up before then, have like a little meal to kind of keep themselves energized throughout the day, and then you just wait it out until the sun sets and have yourself a meal. Uh, I, I'm not a big, uh, you know, gym guy. If you ever mm-hmm. saw my stature, you would you would see that. <laughs> but uh, uh, for the, my friends who are, they usually just load up before then, and then they load up at night, and that's when they start to work out. Uh, it's either close to the time of breaking fast or after. So, okay. Fine. Um, but y- your weight does definitely does fluctuate, so it, it does become a problem to keep up with your routine for sure.
0: I think for the most part, like, people just, like, the idea of fasting kind of scares them. But, like, when yeah. you actually try it, it's not as bad as you think. And, like, you know, you get your hunger cues, but it's not like an emergency. It's like, oh, I'm hungry. That's it. <laughs>
1: <laughs> yeah, it's, 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 hunger's a feeling, right? It goes yeah. away for the most part. And, you know, I think for, for us, we know we're going to break fast at sunset, whereas there's other people in the world that don't know when they're going to break fast. And I think that's Part of the the reason we do this is to kind of feel that humility and that sense of uh, gratefulness for what we have. Um, But, you know, now intermittent fasting is really popular amongst the health gurus, right? People do it all the time where they'll just drink nothing but liquids and then eat one nice meal at the end of the day. And they'll continue going that route. So uh, fasting has its health benefits, obviously. um, And uh, if done correctly, it could be beneficial to the person.
0: Yeah, like, personally, I started intermittent fasting probably seven years ago when I first heard about it, and I was like, you know what, I'm going to do it for a month and see what happens, and now it's just, like, part of my life. It's so much, like, easier because, like, in the morning when I'm busy seeing patients and clients, I don't have to worry about, like, oh, my God, I just to scarf down, like, a protein shake, and now i got to have another snack, and, like, you're rushing back and forth, but it actually makes things more simpler. <laughs>
1: Yeah, yeah, and the the health benefits they're still learning about them yeah. till now. So it's 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 pretty cool to see it go into effect. Um, but yeah, to each his own. I mean, the, the, this is uh, this is true of anything science related, health, medicine, and so forth. A lot of it is is more subjective than objective. You'll find many things that are a benefit to the patient or the person. Uh, it just works what's in your hands. That's all.
0: Yeah. Um, so next easy question is, what is the current book you're reading or listening to?
1: Uh, sure, sure. That's actually a great question. So one of my favorite authors is Dr. Atul Gawande. Um, he, he's a surgeon who's written, I think, four books now. So I'm reading uh, The Checklist Manifesto by him. Nice. And it's, uh, I'm a quarter of the way through. And it's basically about um, you know assembling a checklist in the world of medicine and how that's been a benefit to us. And he's already gotten to the point where uh, a checklist alone has benefited uh, complication rates in the ICU. Whereas people's most common cause of death at a time were infections through the pick line, something as simple as a checklist had decreased that by 75 percent, just making sure everything's sterile and everything's done in the appropriate manner. And he was just talking about the history of it and how people were set back by it. You know, doctors had that arrogance like, oh, I don't need a checklist. I could do this uh, with my eyes closed Uh, and how something as simple as a checklist can be so beneficial Um, so that's I haven't finished it yet but that's where I'm at right now
0: nice Um, so the next one is what is the current tv series you're watching or if you're one of those people who don't watch tv
1: No, I I definitely watch TV. (laughs) Everybody needs a break from reality at some point. Uh, I just finished Game of Thrones. Nice. um, And yeah, just like everybody else, I was a little unpleased with the uh, ending and the whole season (laughs) itself. So I've taken a break from shows for now until I could kind of recoup how I feel about that ending. It was really disappointing. You know, I built this up for a long time, especially because the last season took two years to come into play. Uh, So I think... it just, it was too much uh, leading up to it for any any feasible ending to occur. Uh, I'm not sure if you watch it, I'm sure people in your audience watch it, but uh, that was the last show I've watched, so I haven't picked one up yet.
0: Yeah, I'm with you, like, I was so disappointed, and like, I, th- I can't remember where I read it, I think, like, the two writers that were responsible for the last season, that I think like, the thing that's m- that might have triggered the whole like, debacle was that they got an offer to Think right for the next Star Wars series or something like that, like something really big. So they wanted to kind of just rush through it so they can start the next project.
1: That that sounds that's honestly that sounds plausible. I know there's a yeah. lot of theories out there, but that because during the whole season I was like, why is this so rushed? Yeah. Everything just felt so rushed. Like yeah. they didn't, you know, lead into anything. And um and the ending itself was just I don't I just didn't think it tied into the whole show itself. Yeah, <laughs> so, honestly, but. Yeah, I'm not a writer, right? But, um, yeah, I believe that because it did feel rushed.
0: Um, So without us, like, going on about Game of Thrones, it's like do a little intro of who you are, what you do, and how did you get into the industry?
1: Absolutely. So my name is Mohammed Rumawi, and I'm a podiatrist practicing in New York City. Um, You know, growing up, I always had a a thing for sports and medicine, you know, and uh, in high school, I always thought my route would be sports medicine or orthopedic surgery, just so I could deal with athletes. That was my thing. I wanted to help athletes. For the longest time, I thought I was going to actually play uh, some sort of sport. But obviously, as you get older, you realize the competition is just crazy out there. Uh, So I, I. up until college, orthopedics was my route. I, I wanted to do orthopedic surgery, specifically foot and ankle related. And then my junior year of college, I had heard about a profession known as podiatry that is just strictly focused on the foot and ankle. At the time, it just seemed to make sense. It was uh, less years. Um, your focus is from day one, whereas orthopedics, you would have to do general, then specialize. And so I pursued that realm, and so far, so good. So what kind of, like, attracted
0: you to, like, get into the foot and ankle? Because, like, it's kind of, like, specialized. Like, I don't really hear that many people are like, oh, yeah, I'm all about the ankle and feet, you know? (laughs)
1: Yeah. Yeah. So it's when I was growing up, I was uh, playing basketball. That was my thing. And I had sprained my ankle numerous times, numerous times. And I couldn't understand why, because it was always the left ankle. And then to end my season, I sprained it so bad that I had ruptured uh, the ligaments on the outside and the inside. And that kind of just ended things for me. Um, So it's kind of a cliche story, but that's the reality of why the foot and ankle attracted to me most I just feel like if you're in a healthcare profession if you could relate to your patients it just makes you that much more attentive um so that that's my little spiel on why I wanted to do the foot and ankle and you know the foot and ankle is really intricate there's so many pieces that go into play to making you have the functions that the foot and ankle does and uh, again another cliche thing it's the the foundation of your physical uh, attributes Right? Uh, when an architect builds a building, a lot of the focus goes into the foundation because if the foundation's off, everything else is off. And when it comes to physical movements, it, a lot of it comes from the foot and ankle. So uh, you want to make sure your, your foot and ankle, your lower extremities, at its most optimal function so you yourself can be at your most optimal function.
0: So, what is kind of like the most common thing you see in the clinic that, like, on a daily
1: basis? Uh, plantar fasciitis, by far. Okay. Um, so plantar fascia is a ligamentous type structure that, uh, encompasses the bottom of the foot. Uh, the itis at the end indicates that it's inflamed. There's different reasons why this may happen. You know, people who are flat feet, uh, sudden uh, weight gain, um, improper training, improper shoe gear. uh, The list is endless. And when that fascia is inflamed, the pain can be unbearable. You know, people will say I wake up in the morning. It's hard for me to put my heel down or I'm sitting at work for long periods of time. And as soon as I get up, it just doesn't feel right. And when they come in the office, you just uh, palpate the insertion of the plantar fascia and they kind of just jump. Uh, you know, even though the treatment or the prognosis of plantar fascia is pretty optimistic, if it goes neglected, it could become problematic. And anyone who's dealt with this for months or, or even a year at a time will tell you it's just very, it's, it's a nuisance more than anything. So you definitely want to pay attention to when you do get this random heel pain uh, to get it checked out and get the proper treatment for sure.
0: Do you find that like most of your patients come to you like that don't need surgery but have something like foot-related where they could do like some sort of corrective exercise or just like some sort of single-leg like, stability?
1: Yeah, absolutely, absolutely. Okay. You know, even though my focus is on surgery, uh, most of my patients come don't need surgery. You know, I'm not. I think people have this image that doctors we rush to surgery, We want to just out-cut everything. Uh granted, I love surgery, but we always want to give the patient a shot. So if a patient were to come to me with plantar fasciitis per se, I, you know, stretching modalities are my number one, two, and three treatment. I don't jump to injections. I don't jump to anything too crazy. It's just, hey, let's just try the baseline of treatments that's worked since the beginning of this diagnosis, which is stretching, stretching, stretching. You know, other conditions such as tendinitis, especially in the Achilles area, stretching and physical therapy and exercises tend to be very effective. Uh, So there's no need to go outside the box and think PRP, amnio injections and so forth when uh, we could just give physical medicine a chance.
0: So what's your opinion on, like, getting people to, like, foam roll the bottom of their feet with, like, a lacrosse ball or, like, mm-hmm. even, like, cupping or even, like, some instrument-assisted stuff? Like, what's your take on those three, like, modalities? I like them all,
1: to okay. be honest with you. Yeah, cupping Cupping makes – you know, there's some things that you do in medicine that you don't understand why they work, but they work. But the three modalities you talked about, they, there's, uh, there's a method to the madness. It all makes sense. You know, cupping will – uh, draw out these uh, lymphatic fluids it'll uh, it'll burst the superficial capillaries which and then stimulates this acute phase that rushes all the growth factors and all the healing factors to the area uh, the foam roller uh, on the bottom of the foot that'll break down any scar tissue so let's say your plant you had plantar fasciitis you neglected it the tissue it healed with isn't just original tissue you're, you know, God created you with or you had with from the beginning. So the idea is to break down that extra tissue to get it back to its normal state. So all these things make sense. Right? And on top of that, just to, to play devil's advocate, there's not much negative side effects to them either. So I, I, I can't see a reason why you wouldn't try these things.
0: Yeah, like I remember in that, the same Facebook group, like I brought up uh, cupping because someone posted in there that they had it done for the first time. And I like, quickly come I'm like, oh, I love cupping. We do it at the clinic all the time. And then some guy started ripping into my comment about how it really? doesn't work. There's no, you know, sufficient evidence on it. Oh, and then like I came back and I'm like, well, okay, maybe the research is not the best. But if someone comes in with like low back pain, we put a cup on there and they feel better. Why would I want to stop doing that?
1: (laughs) Yeah, you know, and again, just to play advocate, tell them, okay, what's the negative, what's the consequences? (laughs) Why why are you so angry? What what consequences does this bring off to the patient? And cupping, even though there's not much uh, research, it's it's hard to quantify that research and i'm a big research nerd like what would you do exactly other than a pain scale it's it, you know what i mean there's yeah. there's other things if you were working on the ankle and achilles right and we're talking about exercises you would quantify the range of motion and strength and other things of that nature when it comes to cupping what would you exactly use as parameters for uh, positive treatment other than pain and relief really Mm-hmm. So it's 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 the lack of research and in, in cupping isn't uh, due to the fact that it's ineffective. It's just there's some stuff you just uh, it would be difficult to to measure. Right. Yeah. Um, yeah. I, I, it's weird because what I've noticed a lot in medicine is it's either one way or the other. Nobody wants to just accept things and have a dialogue about it. You know, obviously, that comment, he didn't have to say it like that. He could have just asked politely, uh, yeah. in your experience, what, what benefits do you find from cupping? It didn't have to be, oh, my God, you suck. You yeah. suck, you know? Um, so I, I'm a fan of I don't see why anyone would not be a fan. You could, say, you could argue and say, oh, I don't think it works. But it, it has no negative play in the role of medicine. So if the patient does feel better, why not?
0: It's also interesting, like, the world of, like, online things. Like, people are so confident behind a computer screen. Like, uh-huh. when, when we were, like, going back and forth, I was like, okay, this is, like, going nowhere. So I just ended with, like, you know, thank you for opinion. This is awesome that we had this dialogue. Like, I'm so happy that, you know, we were both on different sides and we were able to have a conversation. Thank you for your input. And then later I, like, checked my phone. There's, like, three more comments back on that. I'm like, seriously, dude? <laughs> Yeah,
1: I'm, I, you know, I got to be honest. I'm, I, there are some things in, in physical medicine in our worlds where they collide and people argue about. I didn't realize cupping was one of them. I'll, I'll be completely honest with you. And, you know, I'm new to social media. I just started my Instagram a few months ago. And uh, one thing I want to point out is, you know, fake news is not just limited to politics. Yeah. I'm just amazed by the amount of misinformation out there. And these people have a huge following and people are actually listening to them for advice. Uh, And I I think it's scary. I I, I really do. I think it's really, really scary what's out there. And people should be cautious about what they read, even when it comes to my content. Don't just believe it. uh, Actually look into it. Um, More than anything, nothing will ever supersede a physical examination, actually seeing a doctor. Uh, We've all been on WebMD and diagnosed ourselves with things (laughs) that don't even exist anymore, right? Yeah. So I I'm not sure why people go to social media as a venue for information and diagnosis and treatment. It's a useful tool for supplemental information, but I don't think anybody should use it as a main source of uh, of your problem or anything. Yeah. Uh, but, yeah, I, I've had those run-ins where I respectfully disagree with someone. And then I'll always say, hey, you know, would you like to do a session where we discuss these things? And I would say 99, and I'll show you my DMs. I'll gladly forward them to you. (laughs) 99% of the time they'll say yes and then never hear from them again. You know, (laughs) Uh, yeah, so that's, I think that's what I learned very quickly is just basically say, hey, you know, we could go through Skype. We could go through Zoom. We could go through any format that you would like to do this. And let's discuss this you know and if they're confident they'll say okay let's do it but if they know that their uh, opinion is lacking evidence or lacking any basis most of the time they'll say no and they'll drop it Um, and they'll save you like 17 comments right
0: (laughs) fair enough Um, so kind of like random question but it kind of seems like you're like open to different modalities so I've been asking a couple, like, physios and chirals that have been on my show, like, what their opinion is about naturopathic medicine. And I guess on the East Coast, I've heard and referred to them as, like, functional doctors. Like, what's your take yeah, on that? Yeah, functional
1: medicine. Yeah. Functional medicine. Absolutely. It's very popular here in the city. So I work in Grand Central New York, heart mm-hmm. of the city. They're very popular. And they're opening up at, at a rapid rate. I can't, like, every day I see a new office opening up. People love it. You know, people love the idea of a naturopathic medicine and a naturopath uh, for different problems, for GI issues, for overall medicine. Uh, I think people are are becoming wary of uh, pharmaceutical companies and and things (laughs) of that nature, uh, which is contributing to it. And hey, listen, if there's science behind it and the patient has good results, how how am I going to argue against that? Um, It'd be tough to apply that to the foot and ankle per se. Uh, but if there are things that work, then by all means, go for it. No one's ever going to argue results, right?
0: No, 100%. And, like, the way I was going to segue this into, um, like, the foot and ankle. So the clinic I work at, he um, there's a guy that's a naturopath there, and he does prolo injections. And mm-hmm. in, like, where I live in British Columbia and Canada, like, naturopaths are able to do injection therapy, So he actually had a question for you, and he asked, have you ever used any regenerative injection techniques like prolotherapy, platelet-rich plasma, or stem cell therapy? If so, does he find them helpful? Yeah,
1: Yeah, they're definitely helpful. So I've used platelet-rich plasma and amnio injections. Uh, Platelet-rich plasma I'll only use as a supplemental measure. I'll never use it, and I really mean it, never use it as a sole means of treatment. So if you have Achilles tendinosis or plantar fasciosis, if I'm taking you in for surgery, I will add in platelet-rich plasma to kind of expedite the healing. Uh, It wouldn't be something I do like, hey, you got plantar fasciitis, let me just give you PRP and you're going to be fine. Uh, Amnio, amnio is like a last-ditch effort for me before surgery. You know, if a patient's trying to avoid surgery at all costs, then we're looking at amnio because, again, this is an out-of-pocket fee. They're paying up to $1,000 for these injections. So if someone's paying $1,000, Knowledge, they expect results, and really, I can't guarantee that it's gonna it's gonna be the end all, tale for them. Uh, but Emio, it's another it's another you know tool you have in the shed that, if needed, you can use. Uh, the results are promising. There's not many side effects or negative effects that I've seen from it. So. If, if a patient's interested, I would definitely offer it. But again, it's not my sole means of treatment. You know, I'm, I'm trying to get you better with the, the tools I have in hand. This is something I'm doing late in the game or using as a supplement to my uh, main treatment.
0: Have you done any like prolo injections at all?
1: No, I have not. Okay. And to be honest with you, I, I'm unfamiliar with them. Uh, that's why I, I left out the comment. I'm, I okay. have to do my homework on it. Uh, uh, if you want to go into explaining it, I'm more than willing to listen, but I, um, I can't say that I, I'm familiar with them.
0: So I am probably going to butcher it from But what, what I understand. It's like a dextrose solution with some sort of, like, procaine in it to kind of stimulate mm-hmm. white blood cells in the area. And, like, I've seen him do a couple injections on, like, a shoulder where they're limited in, like, forward flexion with the arm going straight ahead, and then he injects it, and then, like... After a good 10 minutes, like that arm's going straight above head without any kind of pain, which is kind of cool. But like on a scale of like effectiveness, he was saying like you know PRP would be so much better than Prolo, is just like that's another certification he has to go through, and I think mm-hmm. he went to Arizona to get that um, certification for Prolo. But uh, yeah, I would definitely look into it. I'm kind of curious your opinion on it. But uh, like in my opinion, with like injection therapies like that if someone has like all this new range of motion we almost have to like in my opinion like teach the nervous system that this new range of motion you own it so you don't injure yourself again
1: yeah i think yeah again the injection it's like an enzyme right to me it's like an enzyme okay it's going to help us facilitate healing, get you to an optimal level. But at the same time, we still have to do our main thing. So we have to work on ranges of motion. We have to work on strength and conditioning and so forth, right? You can't just uh, pop this magic injection and say, you're healed. Please leave my office. You know, there's so much more that has to go into it. Um, but, yeah, I, again, if, if it doesn't harm the patient, right, do no harm. If it doesn't harm the patient and they're having effective results from it, then by all means, who? Wh- why would anyone be against these kind of things?
0: No, 100%. Um, so the next thing I want to get into is, like, what should the general population know about feet? Because, like, like, honestly, you and then there's another woman that I know, of, Dr. Emily Spickle. I don't know if you know her she's also in the in the New York area and she was also a surgeon for um, feet but like there's not a lot of like specialized people like yourselves that I know in my industry but what should like coaches and general population people know when it comes to feet like from what kind of shoes they should be wearing if they are flat-footed what should they do to kind of improve their gait or anything like that I know it's a big open-ended question but like It'd be a good place to kind of start the conversation.
1: Sure, sure. You have to understand how intricate the foot is, really. And, uh, you know, I'm not trying to sound like a, a, a weirdo or a creep about the feet. But really, there's a reason why there's a whole profession just dedicated to it. You know, each foot contains 26 bones. It contains 33 joints, 19 muscles, over 100 ligaments, 9 compartments. And all these things have to function together to give you the daily output that is required of your foot. Uh, The average person takes anywhere from five to 10,000 steps. That's over 100,000 miles in your lifetime. Uh, we want our foot to be strong and stable enough to withstand the ground reactive forces during gait, walk, uh, running, jumping, ground and pound, whatever it may be. We want it to be mobile enough to make cuts, swim, run, whatever it may be again. And then we want it to be precise, right? If you look at uh, a ballet dancers, they're able to get on point with just the tips of their toes. So all these things are required. And and the way to do that is to make sure your lower extremity is at its most optimal level. Now, here's the problem we get into. Uh, The foot is unique in the sense it's like the fingerprint of the lower extremity. Uh, it's unique to each individual. We give out general advice for a specific population. It's easy to say, hey, you know, your sneaker should have a little bit of heel, shouldn't bend in the middle, and have a little flexibility in the front. But that may not be necessarily great for everybody, right? Right. Uh, If you have a different foot type, a different sneaker is going to be better for you. If you suffer from Achilles problems, a different sneaker is better for you. If you have PTTD, you may need a different regimen. So the best way to really truly get yourself at your most optimal level is to get an evaluation. You know, see a specialist. Let him see the way you stand, the way you walk, your ranges of motion, and so forth. And this way they could give you recommendations specific to yourself And this way you could assure that uh, you're doing the best you can for yourself because we all know problems in the foot and the ankle, they lead to knee pain, which eventually turns into hip pain, which eventually causes the muscles in the lower back to tighten. And now you have back pain and you go to the chiropractor, the physical therapist, the functional medicine doctor, and they can't seem to get rid of it. And you have no idea why until they tell you, hey, I I think it's coming from your foot. Uh, and it goes back to the analogy of the architect and the foundation of a building being the most crucial aspect. It's the same thing here. Uh, so I know that's not a a specific answer to your question, but it'd be hard for me to group everybody into one category and say, this is best for you.
0: No, I totally get it. Cause it's like anytime a client or patient asks me a question about anything fitness related, I always start with, well, it depends and then kind of like go into it. But, um, I think another, like, good question is, like, if someone had, like, collapsed arches, like, what's their, like, mm. plan of attack to kind of build that arch up again?
1: It's tough. You know, I've read about things about building the arch up and uh, exercises. So the, the there's a lot of structures that go into maintaining a healthy arch. The posterior tibial tendon is one of the most crucial ones uh, responsible for doing so. The plantar fascia as well. And then you have intrinsic muscles, as well as ligaments. Uh, for you to strengthen the ligaments, it's tough to say. For you to strengthen the plantar fascia, again, it's tough to say. You could strengthen the PT tendon. Uh, you see these before and after increasing or strengthening. In my world, that's just unrealistic. It, it really is. I apologize to say that. When the posterior tibial tendon tends to give out or the spring ligament tends to flatten out, it's tough to recoup recoup that strength. It it, it might take some time even. Uh, The best way to do this is by just giving you some functional orthotics. Um, And this is coming from a surgeon who really didn't believe in orthotics. When I was doing my training, everything was surgery, surgery, surgery. You know, if you had a flat foot and it's causing you some agony, we're doing either tendon transfer or fusion and so forth. You know, the idea that this uh, external device will help you, uh, It just seemed far-fetched to me. And then you start exploring, and you start treating patients with it, and you realize, oh, my God, they really are getting better. Uh, So, you know, an orthotic for me seems like the most practical way of treatment. Uh, If you want to try different things that people recommend, such as isolating the posterior tibial tendon or helping increase the strength of the arch, by all means, it's not going to harm you. Uh, For me, it just seems it would be tough to do.
0: Have you ever heard of, like, the uh, short foot exercise? Yes, yes, sure. Do you find that that's beneficial for people or?
1: You know, it's tough because I don't implement that in my practice. Uh, And I've never really had a patient tell me, come in and say, hey, I've been doing these exercises and check it out. I think I've gotten better. But if you were to tell me, hey, Muhammad, listen, I I do this every day and I'm telling you it works, I would look into it. I'm not going to sit here and argue with you about it. But from uh, my standpoint, it, it would be tough for me to say, oh, yeah, it's very beneficial
0: okay because like i find like because like also as a kettlebell instructor like we do everything barefoot and like sometimes like Mm -hmm. i'll like play around with clients i'm like can you lift your big toe off the ground keeping all the other toes on and most of the time people can't even do that or they end up cramping and i'm like well damn that's kind of shitty (laughs) or like the opposite keep your big toe down and the rest of the toes up and they can't even do that and i'm like well, there you go. Like at least you could get better doing that. Like sometimes they just look at their feet and they can't even move their toes.
1: Yeah, it's it's tough because it's 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 a weird dynamic. So you know, we we as humans to go back in time, we stutter off barefoot, and then was, as we evolved, we realized you know what, shoe gear may have its place, and then we stay in shoe gear for a majority of our lives. So when we do take off our shoes and try to do things with the intrinsics of the foot, we realize, oh my god. I, I haven't had to do this all my life. Why am I why am I doing this now? Um, so that's why a good balance is key. Yes, shoe gear has a great time and place for everything. But I do recommend doing barefoot at a time uh, just to increase the proprioceptive receptors in the foot, balance uh, the nerves, the musculoskeletal system. It makes sense to do so. The problem with the barefoot training, per se, is the the line between benefit and failure can sometimes be thin and vague. Um, Because here you are, you've been in shoe gear all your life, and now you're trying to do these strenuous activities barefoot. It's tough to say when you cross over from benefit to, oh, my God, I just injured myself. So you have to do things with slow progression until you get comfortable and used to things. And I'm sure you could attest to this more than I can since you do it. Um, But from a scientific standpoint, it would be tough to go from shoe gear to, yeah, I'm just going to train hard barefoot. Uh, You're just asking for trouble then.
0: Yeah, like, I would look at it just like anything, like, if someone wanted to run a full marathon, they're not going to go out tomorrow and run a full marathon, they would destroy themselves. So, like, Mm -hmm. when I introduce, like, barefoot training, it's like, let's just do three sets of deadlifts with six reps, and that's it, now put your shoes back on, and, like, slowly progress it, where eventually their full hour of training is just barefoot. Because, like, I don't really throw in plyometric work because most general population just can't do it. But doing a single leg deadlift to get that proprioception in the foot is probably a good thing.
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah, you know, I, 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 we wrote an article, uh, a colleague of mine for Men's Health, about the benefit of barefoot training. And then when we were putting it together, we wanted to make sure that we include that. Like, hey, don't just jump into it. Just yeah. don't, don't go crazy because, I I just feel like sometimes when it comes to functional medicine or f- physical medicine, people just feel like it's one way or another. Like either you're a protective sneaker guy or you're a minimalist guy. Pick one. And it's like, well, that's not that's not ideally how it should work, right? Like you, you just don't go from one extreme to the next. Uh, it's the same way with diet. You don't just go from, you know, having a balanced meal to saying, yep, I'm going to do no carbs. Tomorrow. That's it. I'm just going to do it. So, what? Uh, you, you know – all things in time, and you have to progress through these things. Uh, I've heard of things with barefoot training where they start off with, like, soft uh, mats, and then they progress to hard platform. That makes sense to me. Mm-hmm. Uh, what you're telling me, just doing, you know, a, a combination of 18 sets, that's it, to start off. That makes sense before you go and do a full session. Um, again, it's it's don't just jump into things, especially when it comes to the physical of your body.
0: No, oh, definitely. Um, so I kind of want to get into some of the questions I got from Facebook. Um, so sure. So the f- first question I got is, ask him about bunion in young people. Are they still done? Should they be? What comes first over pronation or bunions? Is there any link at all?
1: Yeah, there is a big link, actually. So the first okay. cause of bunions is tends to be hereditary. Uh, I usually ask the patient, hey, does anybody in your family have have this, And I would literally say three out of every four would say, yes, hmm. my mom has it. My dad has it. Uh, hereditary tends to play a role. Uh, you mix that in with improper shoe gear, and you're just asking for trouble, right? A pronation is probably the second biggest call. Uh, if you're flat-footed, the foot naturally is just wider, uh, which means it's the shoe gear you're in is tightly fitted, which then causes changes in the forefoot, which gives you a bunion. Um, you know, conservative treatment for bunions are tough. There's orthotic therapy. They're strapping padding wearing wider shoes but for the most part in my experience you know getting that joint back and realigned is a surgical process it really is if you think of bunion more than a cosmetic thing you have the metatarsal head deviated away from the base of the proximal phalanx which is your big toe and you have to make sure that that toe is realigned and it'd be tough to do that conservatively and uh Surgery tends to be successful with bunionectomies if done properly. Uh, you do have some sort of postoperative recovery, but recurrence is about, I want to say, 8% the last article I read. So it's not too often, but it does happen. Um, but at the same time, back to the question to address it fully, if I would put bunionectomy on a patient that's flat-footed, I more than likely will get an orthotic after the surgery is done. Because, again, if the root of the problem is the flat foot, you want to make sure you address that as well.
0: Okay. Do you you see, like, the bunions kind of also pop up when, say, a woman wears heels every single day? Yeah,
1: yeah. Tight-fitting shoes is definitely a cause of bunions and hammertoes. Again, some people might say, oh, she was just more genetically predisposed to it, and the tight-fitting shoes uh, expedited that process. I I think that's plausible. Or, uh, you know, she was never predisposed to it, but the prolonged of improper shoe gear definitely contributed to it. Yeah, yeah, there's a million different causes, but both of those seem absolutely plausible, and I've seen them both, you know.
0: So what could um, someone who loves to wear heels do to kind of prevent that or at least, like, you know, manage foot pain?
1: Yeah, the market is smart, right? So they know that there's a lot of women who have bunions and hammer toes and Taylor's bunions, and they... They want to wear heels or they have to wear heels you know some professionals they require you to wear them uh and now they've created heels with wider toe boxes so that everything can move freely and the foot can collapse in the shoe and uh the rubbing that you get from the inside of the shoe on your big toe or the outside of the toe kind of diminishes so i would, I would highly suggest that if you're a female and you're suffering from this and you want to maintain that kind of shoe gear look into these name brands that they have uh um, I don't know them off the top of my head. I have a list at my office, uh, but I usually give them a list of like 10 and they look into them. They're, they're a bit pricey though. I mean, the market yeah. knows what they're doing. These people <laughs> tend to be desperate for these kind of things and they, they make sure you pay for it, <laughs> Yeah, but they're out there. They're definitely out there.
0: Perfect. Um, so the next one, um, with foot injuries, what is the most direct route to go down? Basically, who is considered a foot specialist or is this still a physio area? If that makes yeah, sense.
1: I mean, uh, and yeah, it's tough. You know, physio, they're, they're from my understanding, they're more of the whole body. Uh, sure, they may be great in foot and ankle. They may develop a niche over time where they only deal with the foot and ankle. That's, that's feasible. In the States here, uh, the specialists tend to be the podiatrist who literally after college dedicate their studying and their training to the foot and ankle period. And then there is the orthopedics who maintain a fellowship status in the foot and ankle. So those tend to be the one-two punch here of what people go see when it comes to the foot and ankle. Uh, um, you know, I work hand-in-hand with physical therapists, physiotherapists when it comes to these things. Uh, if I diagnose a condition and feel like they would benefit from their right regimen, I send them without a problem. You know, I'm not trying to be Superman and do everything. Uh, there's there's room for everyone's involvement and expertise. Uh, but yeah, podiatrists, orthopedists tend to be the mainstay for foot and ankle problems
0: okay um the other question i had was like if someone broke their yeah. big toe how much does that affect like mm-hmm. things like balance and like just their gait in general because like from what i understand like that big toe is kind of like your first point of contact to like generate power your push off like everything
1: mm-hmm. yeah it's it's responsible for a phase in gait called propulsion and that's exactly what you said the push off mm-hmm. uh so let's say you're heel striker which most people are you strike your heel the foot flattens then it resupinates it goes to the midfoot and the last thing to kind of leave is the the big toe oh and at certain points of gait the big toe absorbs like 60 percent of your body's weight so it's very crucial to have that range of motion and that strength in the big toe so when you break your big toe you lose that um and guess what the next joint to kind of absorb that is going to be the midfoot and then it's going to be the rear foot and the ankle so it, bec- it becomes a slippery slope and this isn't being far-fetched uh, your body functions as a chain and that chain is only as strong as its weakest link and the big toe if, if that goes away um, you know the other joints tend to follow so when someone comes with a big toe injury i'm automatically putting them in a protective shoe or a boot because we need that to heal in order for you to be at your most functional self later on and unfortunately bone takes 4 to 6 weeks to heal there's no way to really change that uh, there's bone stimulators and injections but uh, a the rule is four to six weeks when it comes to bone healing, but I would definitely take it seriously in comparison to if you broke your pinky toe or any other of the toes. The big toe tends to be very crucial.
0: Yeah, cause I remember I used to train this guy in his 70s and like on, this, on his one foot, he always had trouble like even like squatting and even doing some sort of lunge. And he told me that he broke his toe when he was, like, in his 20s and never got it fixed or anything. And he just kind of let it be. Yeah. And, like, yeah, he had, like, some hip problems, low back issues. And I was always like, I'm pretty sure it's because of that big toe.
1: Yeah, post-traumatic arthritis, that's what he had. You know, you get arthritis in the big toe. It, ha- it loses its range of motion. And, again, it's the kinetic chain, right? Everything uh, kind of works together. So when one thing's off, it-, it-, it can throw off other areas in that chain.
0: No, 100%. So for the last question, because we're coming up to our time here, if people wanted to find out more about what you do and where you are online, um, and if you have any, like, projects coming out, maybe a book or something like that, you can plug away all that information right now on my show.
1: (laughs) Yeah, so you can find me. uh, The best source of venue where I put out information and personal contact is actually Instagram, and my handle is at nycfootdoc.com and uh, foot and then DOC. Uh, I revamped the whole thing and it's going to be more educational and informative, uh, hopefully applicable to all athletes and fitness gurus and trainers. Uh, I try to keep my content content high quality and relatable to the general public. Uh, that's the best venue. As far as a book is concerned, that's actually in the back of my mind, but nice. I, I want to start off with a blog for first and foremost. Uh, so I'm just compiling a bunch of articles together because again, when you put out a blog, you want to make sure it's the, you know, the information is suitable and the content is appropriate. Uh, I don't want to be a victim of the fake news guy. Um, so it's gonna take some time, but you know, I'm, I'm excited to put out a lot of things. I'm just trying to take it one step at a time. Uh, but yeah, you could find me on the Instagram handle. My email is attached there. My office information is attached there. I tend to respond to all direct messages, so feel free to. Uh, text me with your concerns or questions or comments. I'm pretty open to any discussion, period.
0: Awesome. So thank you so much for your time. This was amazing.
1: Oh, thank you for having me. I really appreciate you.
0: Alright, so that's going to wrap up episode 238, and I'm super excited because my book is going to be released very soon. I finally figured out what the issue was and There's only a couple small things I need to change about my website, and it's going to be approved through ClickBank, meaning sometime this week I'm going to create a post with the release date. The book is going to come out this month. I am so excited. You have no clue. It has been such a grind. Today would have been the one month anniversary of my original release date, and it's taken this long to figure out what the fuck was going on. (laughs) But I am so thankful for Katie, who's been helping me figure out this shit, and honestly, I'm in so much debt to her because without her, I don't know what I would have done. So, Katie, if you're listening, thank you, thank you, thank you so much. For all of you listeners who've been waiting patiently. And your name's already on the pre-sale list. The moment my book is able to be purchased, you will be getting an email from me personally with a link to purchase your very own ironclad body training system ebook. God, that feels so good to say. For those who are not on my pre-sale list, hit up the show notes, click the link, Add your name and email and you will also receive an email from me with the link to purchase my book. And again, if you're brand new listening to this podcast, the Ironclad Body Training System is my very first ebook that allows you to improve your mobility, get those aches and pains gone while still lifting heavy, getting stronger, losing fat, and becoming the bulletproof, ironclad warship that I mention in the book. So super exciting. I'm really, 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 really happy that it's going this way. For those listening that haven't done this already, hit the show notes and also add me on Facebook because I post a lot of shit on there too. (laughs) Thank you, thank you, thank you for listening and supporting this show. Share this podcast with your friends and family. I'll be forever grateful. Until next time, you guys, keep your ears and eyes open for the release date. Until next time.